and welcome back to Two Bar Stools and a Knife. I am Nathan Dodge, Professor Nathan Dodge, here at FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. We are joined today by a special guest, Jacqueline Coleman. So we're really looking forward to talking to her today. But we have our two normal knuckleheads, Chef Professor Brian Connors and Chef John Noble Massey. Hello, gentlemen. How are you guys today? Hello. Thank you for the knuckle, knucklehead comment, because uh, I do yes. appreciate that. And I resemble that remark. I figured you did. I figured you did. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, gentlemen, we are all uh, surviving uh, week 365, whatever the hell this is now. Well, um, we, we were just talking a little before the show started, and we this is podcast number five on Cinco de Mayo. So it's Cinco Cinco de Mayo. Uh, yes, uh, and I was Taco Tuesday. My sombrero, <laughs> Taco Tuesday. Yes, right. It's Taco Tuesday. So the, hopefully there'll be some good uh, Patron or Casadores uh, margaritas happening later on. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna, no, no. Uh, I, you hear booze. You hear booze. You get all excited. <laughs> no, I'm yes, oh, like an alum. I was uh, today. We're going out, or not out. We're going to pick up from Temple Street Eatery in Fort Lauderdale to alums from. Uh, FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management, Diego Ning, and Alex Cook, um, both graduates of our program. So I'm going to show, show a little love. Our Chinese Mexicans, I guess you would call them, because they are doing a uh, Cinco de Mayo special. Thing. So yeah. That's our awesome. Love those guys. Those guys do, are great. They do great stuff at the university. You know, for a long time, you know, as soon as things get back to normal, that was uh, Lauren and I's uh, favorite little Sunday, you know, like little Sunday evening, go there and uh, just grab some dumplings and a salad. But uh, big shout out to those guys because they do a great job for FIU with yeah. these great guys all the way around. And, and plus, they're, they're so involved with us at school and, and very present. Alex is going to be guest speaking at my restaurant management class over the summer. So Perfect. I'm lining up all my guest speakers for that. So he can always be counted on for support. And so we support him as much. Good. Appreciate Alex Good. and Diego. That's awesome. And so, of, so that's going to be, was supposed to be an, a face-to-face class. Now that's been switched to virtual. How are you running that class, John? Well, you know, I have two awesome colleagues that have taught, well, three awesome colleagues that have taught the class before and, and Joel, uh, Dr. Joel Feingenheimer, Dr. Andrew Moreo and, uh, and Brian here. And so I got feedback from all of them. I've got a great class together. It was originally supposed to be a hybrid class, so it's only six sessions, so it's going to be jam-packed. I'm going to make sure that I have guest speakers use some of my connections throughout industry, see if I can get some uh, celebrity chefs that I know come and do a, a guest Zoom with us. I've got Alex lined up, who's a local restaurateur, another restaurateur, Keith Blauchild. If you haven't been to the Cook and Cork over mm-hmm. in... Coral Springs. He's a fellow CIA alum with me. And so just lining up people that own restaurants to talk about restaurant management. I think that makes sense. Love it. Love it. So uh, let's do a little quick little update. So I'm looking forward to talking to Jacqueline and talking about some uh, wine world industry. So a quick little uh, Bacardi Center of Excellence update. Courses, as always, are still filling up nicely. Uh, We do keep track of where we are. Uh, and Professor Dodge and I are going to have a chance just to do a quick little overview about what each course is about. So our first course is going to be 1020, which is going to be a global introduction to beverage. Now, this was designed, and a few of you have heard me talk about this before, but to kind of give a kind of 
an intro to each important segment in the beverage world. So yes, we'll be talking a little bit about spirits. And when I say a little bit, picture about two to three different class sessions we'll be focusing on the spirits world, two to three different class sessions, maybe four, on the wine world, uh, because I'm a wine nerd. And then of course, uh, two to three with beer. And we'll be talking about the other segments. And when we say other, and you've heard us talk about this before, we can never discount the impact that non-alcoholic segment has in our industry, because again, it's a great revenue stream and the popularity and, you know, John Massey, I know you'd agree of coffee, teas, and those other, uh, I mean, I'm even drinking right now a sparkling water with real squeezed fruit. And, you know, it's, this is something that people, yeah, it's the Spindrift brand, which they do a great job as well. So there is a whole other segment out there. So, and of course, we'll be bringing in uh, our Bacardi partners uh, and brand ambassadors, as well as other uh, individuals from the beverage industry. Professor Dodge, Serge, I could talk a little bit about 3065. Sure. It's the art and science of fine spirits. So the, the plan with this is there'll be 16 weeks for this class that will every week will deal with, uh, you know, spirits. The book that I'm using is a certified spirits, or I'm sorry, certified specialist of spirits textbook. So at the end of this, you should be able to sit for your um, CSS certification and be able to add that onto your resume. So every week we're going to talk about how spirit, different spirits are made. We're going to go into why is bourbon bourbon, scotch scotch, and Irish whiskey Irish whiskey. Um, the grains that are used, the distill, distillation process. We've got a couple field trips set up to some of the distilleries in the area. There's a rum distillery in Fort Lauderdale. There's a, another rum distillery in Plantation. There's one in Miami, Miami Club Rums in Miami. Um, we've got Ziam, Ziami Distillery in Hollywood. So a lot of rum distilleries. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of other things. There's a gin distillery also that I've reached out to. So the plan is to see some of these rum distilleries and really get in touch with how these spirits are made what makes a fine spirit fine? Sometimes it has to do with the quality of grains, the distill- distillation process, whether it's handmade or machine made, uh, small batch, large batch, and a lot of times it just has to do with marketing. If the marketing is right, they can slap their brand onto a pretty generic bottle and say that it's high end and people will believe it. We're going to talk a little bit about Costco brand, the, uh, the vodka and Kirkland brand brandy and Rum, and if you've ever noticed, those bottles are very similar to some of the other top shelf bottles, and there's a reason for that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Oh, good tease, Dodge. Good tease there. <laughs> and we've got one more class. It's a 4,000-level class that Brian's teaching. Which one is that one? This is going to be 4064. Uh, this will be Bevpreneurship, or uh, also known as Beverage Entrepreneurship. Now, for those of you that uh, have not taken uh, their senior seminar yet, Picture a kind of a senior seminar style course where we're going to talk about different kind of business models and so forth, but we're going to be taking it uh, a little bit further and look at how do we develop a beverage brand basically from start to finish. We'll look at some of the marketing strategies that uh, Professor Dodge was talking about because a big part of the beverage world, of course, is marketing and getting that brand and that brand 
recognition uh, out to the public and to industry and so forth. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually in the process of designing it because uh, it's going to be a reboot uh, of a course called Beverage Management in the Past, but we're really bringing this up to, you know, 2000 and, you know, 20, 2025 type stuff that's cooking. Two other things I just want to talk about, and then we'll jump right into uh, Jacqueline. Keep an eye out for some great dynamic pods we have coming up. Uh, I know Professor Dodge is uh, helping me out with that, with getting some pods. We're going to be looking at doing a uh, in-depth whiskey pod. We're going to be looking at doing also a few in-depth wine pods this fall. Just got off a call with our good friend Lars Light from the Psalm Journal. We're going to be looking at some of those opportunities. And also, speaking of marketing, we're looking at creating a specific branding or beverage branding pod. And Jacqueline will explain what all that fun stuff is later on. So without further ado, uh, Chef Massey, why don't you take it over there, sir? Great. Thank you so much, Brian. And I love this business because we get to meet really cool and interesting people. And I had the great fortune of, I think it's about a year ago, I met Jacqueline at a, of all things, a wine tasting, go figure. Jacqueline Coleman is a wine and travel writer. Uh, she has a regular column for the Biscayne Times. She also has uh, been regular on Linda Gassenheimer's radio program and has been doing some really interesting things with food wine. Also is a uh, American fine wine competition along with yourself, Brian. So uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Jacqueline Coleman to our podcast. Welcome, Jacqueline. Hi, thanks for having me today. Awesome. Well, we're so glad you could join us. Could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in this crazy fun business? Oh, it is a crazy fun business. Although listening to you guys talk about your classes coming up, I kind of feel like I need to go back to school now. (laughs) Um, So I have been writing about wine for about eight years. And over the course of that, uh, many things have happened. I've, I've taken several different types of certifications and I actually took the wine business course um, certificate at FIU with Chip Cassidy. So, you know, I've, I've done some education. I've, a lot of wine is learning as you go as well and tasting. And, and those of you who are into wine understand that, you know, you, you're always learning, you're always discovering new things. So I still feel like I'm part of the process of learning every single day. But currently, like you said, John, I write for Biscayne Times, which is also in the FIU area, the Biscayne Corridor. So I do the Vino column for them, which is a monthly wine column about economical wines. So those wines are all under $15. I also write for a website called Wine Traveler, written for the Corbin Company blog, and several other local publications, Selford a Luxury Guide being one of them. So I'm, I'm here locally. I consult on events and tastings. And of course, um, I work with Sherry on some of her judging as well for American Fine Wine. That's great. That's a lot of interesting things there that you're doing. So yeah. well, there's always something interesting with wine. <laughs> wine yeah. can come in many different packages. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And with this crazy time that we, we've got going on right now with the uh, coronavirus, I just wanted to know what your thoughts are on, on, on the wine industry. What have they done really well during this, this time? I, I know I saw and shared with our podcast last week that alcohol sales in general have just skyrocketed. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on what they've done well as a business? Well, and there's a couple of different sides to this. Of course, the alcohol sales are increasing with, um, 
you know, direct to consumer type sales, um, obviously on the restaurant side, uh, there's a little bit of a, a stall there, but as far as the wine industry is concerned, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of it for pivoting very quickly into an online model. You know, typically the wine industry is very much in person. You go to a winery, you taste, you experience all of this stuff. But while we're all sitting at home, we don't have that luxury to travel to Napa or to Bordeaux or wherever you, you, you like to taste wine. So something that I've seen, and I've been a part of it almost on a weekly basis, are these virtual wine tastings that the wineries are coming up with, you know, having their winemaker on the Zoom call or on Instagram Live, whatever it is, and being able to communicate about the wine direct to the consumer while the consumer is sitting in their living room, theoretically tasting the wine, because that's been an option too, is you can purchase the wine ahead of time and have it shipped to you. So, you know, from an industry that is typically very much hands-on in person to be able to pivot rather quickly into an almost strictly online model um, has been a, a positive. And I think that's really helped the industry reach people and even more people than, than they had before. And there's always been this kind of shift into making wine more approachable. And I think that this kind of maybe stumbled into that by, by making wine less, less prestigious. It's not like, Oh, I have to go to Napa to taste wine. It's like, no, I can just walk to my couch and turn on the zoom. So I think that that's something that they've done well. I even had a friend of mine owns a winery in Santa Barbara and he did his product launch for his new um, Merlot, which is called effing Merlot, which is pretty funny, but <laughs> he did an entire launch on zoom, you know, with, with the winemaker, uh, with a couple of other consultants. He works with Doug Marjoram in Santa Barbara. And, you know, he had a musician kind of playing some music for a little bit. So you kind of had that feel like you were at the winery enjoying this exclusive event, but it was open to anyone online. So I think that, you know, the wine industry has done a great job of coming to the people, so to speak. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And that's very creative there with, with doing the, the launch that way and with the music and everything else. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> so... With those different practices, what do you think moving forward? Obviously, there's, they're doing these virtual tastings now, and, and I've seen a lot more presence from the companies that are, from the wineries that are really aware, doing more social media and inter interaction, whether it be those virtual tastings or other things. What do you think they're going to take with them into the future as, as a general practice or things moving forward that will help them? Well, you know, I still think that there is a lot of uncertainty um, in the hospitality industry. And you guys know that, of course, and travel industry moving into at least the near future. So travel is definitely going to be off the table for a lot of people. And, and maybe the majority of people aren't going to be traveling internationally. So I think that these virtual events are, are going to have to stay for a while because you're not going to have people you know, just getting on an airplane and flying out to wine country whenever they they feel like it. Um, I think there's going to be a little bit more of a hesitation there, uh, at least for the near future. So I think it's a good idea for these wineries to continue to do these virtual events and let people have access to the education, to the winemaker without having to to leave. And I think it's a, it's a personalized touch 
that these wineries are have the opportunity to present to people without much effort on on either end. Um, so I think that's something to consider moving forward is that the wineries should really embrace their their social presence and their social media presence, their online presence, and and use that to their advantage and not just you know toss it to the side once the airports open up and the regions open up because I think there's still going to be a lot of people who would like to engage with wineries who may not have the opportunity to actually get there physically. That's great. You know, guys, even last week I was on a webinar, uh, speaking of Lars Light with the Psalm Journal, and they featured uh, global terroir. This was like really nerdy stuff, uh, but I agree 100% with Jacqueline saying, you know, it was a great opportunity. They were even down in Uruguay, they were in France, they were in Italy, and so on and so forth. And they incorporated, including California, all these different winemakers and wine professionals. And this was, again, for a little a little bit more of the uh, professional crowd, but man, it was great because uh, it gave just enough information. And then of course you had the opportunity to follow up later on if you had questions and that type of stuff. But uh, we, I hate to use the term, but it it fits here. Are we looking at the new normal, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think too, people have access to so much more information now than they did, you know, I hate to say before, but you know, two months ago in the sense that you do have direct access to the winemaker when he's, on that webinar, she's on that IG live, you know, that's, you have direct access, you can ask your questions. Whereas even when, you know, the average Joe goes to wine country, they're not guaranteed to meet with the winemaker. That's not, you know, unless they sign up for the private tour, but you know, if you're just going for a tasting in the tasting room, chances are you're not going to get to ask your questions. So I think that the access to information and education right now is, is, growing exponentially for people who are interested in wine. I think there's a great opportunity for wineries to, to have that touch point. And, and I think Jacqueline, for, for me, one of the reasons I shared with the, the fellas that I had purchased a, an assorted case from Fela Vineyards out in Napa. And one of the things that incented me was the winemaker actually opened up special selections from their cellar that weren't previously available. That kind of action, getting something that you can't get at Total Wine or, or at your local shop, only get from the winery. Oh, totally. I think that's something that's very appealing. Yeah, because you don't have the foot traffic coming into the tasting room and the collectors coming in to visit. So you've got, you've got to get that product out there somehow. That's great. Do you see any other things that the wine industry should, should change or you think they are changing moving forward? other than the virtual tastings and opening up their cellars yeah. and things like that. I mean, like a hard look at the three-tier system. I mm-hmm. think during this time we've, and I say we collectively, we've learned that direct-to-consumer sales are can, can be bigger than they have been in the past. And I think a lot of people look at the wine industry a little bit like a dinosaur because they haven't, it hasn't evolved as quickly as some other industries. And they've relied a lot on, the three-tier system, the distributors, the restaurant retail model, and have not focused as much on direct-to-consumer in the past, and except for the very exclusive wine clubs and people coming through the tasting room and that sort of thing. So I think that now that we've seen that direct-to-consumer can be a viable sales model, you know, and, and push product in, in larger quantities, I think that maybe there's there might be a way to 
redirect how sales are the majority of sales in the industry to benefit, you know, the wineries and maybe the smaller retailers, that sort of thing. Because right now the way the system's set up, I mean, really the big guys benefit the most and and the wineries don't always benefit that, that much financially at least. So, you know, I think that there should be, wineries should focus more on their marketing and, and we were talking a little bit about marketing before, but again, Social media marketing, online marketing hasn't always been a priority for the wine industry. I think a lot of brands have relied on their reputation as opposed to kind of pivoting or being flexible with their marketing. And I think a lot of them are realizing now that maybe we need to focus more on reaching those people that are online because for the foreseeable future, we may all be online more often than before. So kind of having a flexible marketing strategy in place where you're not just relying on your high-end collectors that know about your brand, but looking to reach those people who are genuinely curious and who are sitting at home looking for that knowledge, looking for something to do, something interesting. I think wineries have a real opportunity there, but they've got to put the effort into the marketing. Jacqueline, I got a question. So most of the, our listeners are going to be our students. We've got people outside, but for the most part, they're our students, so they're on a fixed budget. Um, if you were to recommend someone that we could do a shout-out for, maybe a, a good value, great product, could you recommend somebody that uh, our students might be interested in, in ordering from? Or maybe a professor who doesn't make a whole lot of money, like myself? <laughs> Well, first of all, I would recommend you read my vino column in Biscayne Times oh, for economical wines. Plug. There you go. Yes. Every month. Our kind of girl. <laughs> um, so this month in the May column, um, you can find some economical sparkling or some economical old world rosés. So Love each it. month, uh, there is a different theme. So for instance, last month, uh, April's column was about economical Australian wine. So um, check that out. Well, but, it is so it's rosé all May, so that does it makes yes. a lot of sense. Exactly, exactly. Well, I try I, to be I clever. Like to drink, Brian likes to drink a lot of pink wine while while he's out on the boat. Which it's is perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, it's uh, my boat's right behind me right now, and there is a, a bottle of Maribel <laughs> in the fridge. So uh, watch what you wish perfect. for, John. Yes, I, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so another format though is canned wine. I would start exploring canned wines a little bit more because, and I, and I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but one can is equal to half a bottle. (laughs) So you do have to be careful. You know, you can't just drink it like a beer because the alcohol level is a little higher and you need to be careful about how many cans you're consuming at one time because the, the quantity is equal to about two and a half glasses. So, but that's, that's an, uh, an area of wine that is growing popularity and, there are good, there are good cans, there are bad cans, and there are better than other cans. There's one brand out there called Vinny, V-I-N-N-Y, which is a sparkling wine from New York State, actually, that's made in a can. It's a yellow can. That one I highly, highly recommend, and I'm not entirely sure where you can get it in South Florida. I know for a while they were selling it at Ella Pop Cafe in the design district, um, but it, I I don't know retail locations, maybe Total Wine would have it. Highly recommend that. But cans are easy. They're portable. You can throw them in the cooler. You can grab them out of the fridge. You know, I I recommend it if 
you're looking for an economical, you know, I don't want to say way to drink a lot of wine at one time, but it, be careful about how you're consuming it. But, you know, you can get a can for a few bucks and there you go. Yeah. We actually got uh, Babe Wine, which is from uh, the Instagram fame, The Fat Jew, um, that product that came out. Uh, and it's not bad. It's a little bit on the sweet side, but it's not bad at all. We've had some good luck can products. And, and again, uh, I'll dovetail a little bit because we're going to see this enclosure because it's a little bit more cost effective and so forth, easier to get to market. Uh, and I think, and Jacqueline, tell me what you think. Our listeners, particularly uh, the older millennials and the Gen Zs, which is the next category coming out, they're going to be a little bit more, you know, willing to try this new packaging. You agree? Yeah, totally. And and I'm as an elder millennial, you know, I I'm open to it. I haven't fully embraced the can yet. Um, I, in fact, actually today I'm recording with Amanda Fraga, who is the head sommelier at um, Michael Schwartz restaurants. She and I have a canned wine thing. So we've done an Instagram video reviewing several canned wines. We're going to do another one today on Zoom. I, I haven't fully embraced it, but I think that they, they are great for certain times of drinking, you know, so you're going out on the boat, you're going to the beach when they open, you know, it's easy. Again, it, it fits a certain criteria of situation when I'm drinking wine. I, when I go to a restaurant, I still want the cork. When I'm having dinner at home, I still want the bottle. You know, I, I think cans are great for certain situations. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I feel very much the same way. Like there's a certain, uh, like, time of day, time of year for, for certain wines. And I love the Northeast is coming out of you, John, you know that now, you know, but there's like a certain price point, like how much would you guys pay for a, a can of wine versus a bottle of wine with a cork? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not the same price. Point. Well, it's the perceived value, you know, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the nerdy side of me, but that's actually kind of what I did. Part of my master's uh, thesis is on all about perceived value. So it's, it's kind of interesting like that. Don't get me going on that. It's nerd centric. No, 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 no. Well, from a sustainability perspective, you were talking a, a little bit about enclosures uh, last week or a week ago. And I think we're going to see more of those, those interesting style packaging. So I, we will look to get better wines in them moving forward, I'm sure. We talked a little bit about wineries engaging better with their prospective and current customers via social media. Anything else that on the marketing side that you think the wine industry should be focusing on moving forward? I mean, kind of, again, creating these personalized experiences that can be taken home, um, you know, we always talk about the wine lifestyle and I talk about the wine lifestyle because I think wine is a lifestyle. It's arts, it's culture, it's, it's what it's food. It's what you're doing while you're drinking wine. It's not just what's in the bottle, but because wineries and and the industry cannot exactly create those experiences right now. um, I think being creative and coming up with experiences that people can take home. For instance, I know that there is a Rose brand here that is, uh, when you order, they're delivering to you with a butler. So like a butler hand delivers with like white glove service, you know, brings you the bottle of wine, which is 
is a really cool little thing, you know, like you don't have to leave your house and some butler is going to show up with a bottle or two of rosé, you know. Ah, I see your new job there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they're hiring. Um, oh, that's right. Your side hustle right there, buddy. I think he has a T-shirt with the uh, bow tie on it, I think. I have a lot of bow ties. If you remember when I first started working at FIU, I wore a bow tie every day, so I could do that. But just kind of those those different things that make the the brand stand out a little bit more because anyone can go on wine.com or Total Wine and pick out some bottles and blah, blah, blah. Okay, but what's really going to make your brand more interesting to people the longer they're sitting at home? Um, so I think the ability to be flexible and creative is is not, and again, I'm going to go back to the whole dinosaur analogy because the wine industry has not always been that way. But, you know, that is going to be the, the, the new wave of, of the wine industry, I think. So, so Jacqueline, it, we have students and other people listening to you and they say, what? they're listening right now and they're saying, wow, what a really cool gig. You write and you drink a, a, a lot of wine and you have a lot of fun. If, if they want to follow your steps or, or try to do what you do, is there any career advice that you'd give them in, in saying what they would do to help them along that path? Win the lottery first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> we didn't really do what the water. That would be my advice for someone share? else. <laughs> um, Nathan Dodge have- <laughs> could show up at your house in a tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of fun in the wine industry, um, but I think everyone who's in it will tell you they're not in it for the money. So, you know, be prepared to work hard and hustle and, uh, again, be flexible and creative and find those different avenues that, that you can, um, you know, diversify your offerings, so to speak. But education plays a big part of that. You know, having a foundation, I think, is really, really important. And anytime anyone asks me, well, I want to get into wine sales or I want to get into this. How do I get into that? I say, start, start, take a class, get your certifications because it, you need the foundation. And so that's why I love what FIU is doing and the, and the programs there, because I think the students coming out of um, the Chaplin School have a leg up in that. Um, some of the best people in the hospitality industry here have come from FIU. Um, beyond that, you know, experience, working events, tasting events, uh, talking to people, learning, um, tasting, reading books. It, it, it's a process. Like I said in the beginning, there's no um, straight line to through any of this. Uh, you kind of have to learn as you go, I think. But you can do it. You just, you have to have the passion and the desire and the hustle. That's for sure. Perfect. Thank you, Johnny. Hey, so Jacqueline, I have uh, two fun questions for you. I know we were getting a little nerdy there, but, and they just kind of popped to my brain because uh, both of them are questions that I've continually got being in the wine business. And I'm dying to hear what your response is going to be. The first one is, um, what you drinking on? Because people always ask me, you know, oh, what's your favorite wine? I'm like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. So I know what to ask. So what's on your counter with the cork still sitting in it from the last night? What's in your fridge right now you're dying to open? Or what are you waiting for to come in the mail? This is, oh. this is fun. This is fun. Yes. Well, um, I will tell you, I actually did not drink yesterday. So I don't have any currently open bottles don't on worry. the counter. The rest of us we did. Made, um, we made up for it. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah. it was my sure one did. day off, my day off. 
but I do, I have a Saltern in the fridge right now that um, I've had a cork in for a couple of days and I can't wait to get back into that. So, you know, I love, I love Saltern. I'm on, on a bit of a kick right now, but, um, you know, having a glass at the end of the night, a full glass and just, you know, the gooey sweetness, um, it's, it's better than any dessert, I think. So that's always something that I enjoy, but there's a few wineries that I'm really into right now. Um, Virginia wine is something that I'm really enjoying. So interesting. Very interesting. Well, and I actually got my start writing about wine while living in Virginia. So Virginia wine is kind of my first love. Um, Mine was upstate New York. So I I feel that, you know, yeah. yeah. So Petit Minsang is a grape that I recently did a virtual wine tasting with three wineries in Virginia hosted an event. um, And the the topic was Petit Minsang. So they were showing each had a bottle of Petit Minsang. And um, this is a white grape that's primarily from the Southwest of France, but does really, really well in Virginia. And I got really excited about Petit Minsang. So I actually do have one of those bottles left in my fridge that I'm super excited about getting into again, because it's, it's a heavier white wine. It's, it's very aromatic. It's almost like you can drink it as a red wine. Almost. You can drink it a little bit warmer um, with heavier foods to it. And it's really exciting and different. So I'm, I'm excited about Petit Minsang right now. (laughs) That's a new one. So the, the second question, and again, yeah. a popular one um, that I've gotten a lot, but I'm going to kind of bring it, you know, a little bit more understandable. So over the summer, uh, last summer, as a matter of fact, uh, Nathan and I had the opportunity to eat at Per Se, uh, which is obviously one of Thomas Keller's restaurants. And we had the wine pairing and everything else. And you would think that that would be this. And it was a good experience. Nathan, you would agree. It was a good experience. It, it was, but I don't remember having the wine pairing because I remember someone having it, but it was not myself. Want to yeah. Throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it definitely was me. But uh, I'm always interested in about the overall food and wine because you know they go together so well. But um, Jacqueline, if you could, what's your best wine experience? You know, and it doesn't have to be the la di da per se. And if we have time, I'll share a little bit about the one that I had in the last year that always shocks people. Uh, but uh, why don't you talk about your overall best food and wine experience? It's tough. I think. I mean, every time I travel, I miss traveling so much. Every time I travel to a region and, you know, especially internationally and have the full experience of, of eating the food there, the regional cuisine, drinking the wine there, talking with people who either make the wine or who are in the industry there, all of those experiences to me, it's hard to pick out one because in my head, I'm trying to think of one. I'm like, but they're all so great. I think just for me, it's, it's being immersed in, in a region. So whether that's, I did a, a tour, I'll pick out one. I did a tour uh, in 2018 uh, that was focused solely on Grenache. So this was in the north of Spain and south of France, up through Roussillon and, and France and in the northern parts of Spain from Madrid all the way up. Um, and it was, it, was, it was so much fun for nine days or however long it was to just focus on one grape. So everything was about Grenache and to see the different styles of Grenache and how Garnacha in, in Spain versus Grenache in, in the south of France and how they pair differently with cuisine. And, and a lot of this area is, is you know, the, the Catalan culture. So there was a lot of, of that playing into it. But speaking to people in all different regions and how they all have this pride in this grape and they all make different wines, but with this passion and 
you know, that to me, it was, it's still the best wine trip I've, I've had. And, um, just the, the laser focus on one, on one grape, but how different and diversified it could be. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, my Grenache in, in two countries tour would probably be a top on my food and wine experiences. Uh, I love Grenache and, and it's, and it's when you got to find your own passion and you find your own little uh, pocket of the earth that you go, wow, that's amazing. Uh, do you guys want to hear mine real quick? I'll give you the, the fast version. Yes, please. All right, hang on. I got to get my, uh, my, my music queued up. Oh, if you know what that what is. The hell is that? Yeah, so that's my, uh, my deliverance moment for the wine <laughs> industry, but, uh, it, it's real quick. So, uh, Lauren and I were traveling. Actually, she had her uh, college reunion last year. We were up in North Carolina, uh, up the Wake Forest and we were driving back to the airport. We had uh, ample time. She says, well, well, you know, North Carolina and Jack, you know, this has a pretty big wine industry. Um, yeah. they're, they're coming up. So, I said, yeah, sure, that sounds great, thinking that I would go have an upstate New York type experience or even a Virginia experience. And this is kind of where my expectations were. And uh, she didn't kind of bring anything up, but she looked up on Google Earth or Google Reviews and found one of the most highly reviewed uh, vineyard in the area on the way to the airport. And when uh, we pulled up to the, the vineyard, if you would call it, but it was really much more of my deliverance moment because it was a small one-room log cabin. And I pulled up, and I don't know what happened to me. I think my, my wine-buying guy in the past, or my wine nerdiness or snootiness uh, came out. And I said, hell no, we're not going in there. That's not going to happen, so on and so forth. And she looked at me, and she says, what else are we going to do? Uh, so I turned the car back around, went to this uh, one-room tasting room. And on a paper plate, it said on the door, uh, call this number and we'll come down and do a tasting with you. Oh, my God, we're going to get killed. And the proprietor was actually uh, enjoying Taco Bell at the time. Long story short, we had one of the best wine experiences of my 20 plus career in the wine world. And why that was, number one, and some of the listeners might have heard me talk about unexpected hospitality. The wine wasn't, you know, earth shattering, oh my God, I, I have to buy cases of this and go distribute it throughout the world. It was the proprietor and the experience because this little one-room log cabin along the Silo Road in, in East Nowhere, North Carolina, was just a facade because up the, up the hill or over the hill, he had a sprawling vineyard uh, and a beautiful now multi-room log cabin and tasting room that we had 100% to ourselves. He knew we had extra time before our airplane, uh, gave us a bottle, and I think it was like Moscato or, or Moscat, you know, something that was indigenous to the area, overlooking these rolling hills. And the wine wasn't great, but the experience was fantastic. That's the cliff notes of the story. So uh, if you ever get a chance to hear my whole uh, unexpected hospitality, it's all about when you least expect it, that's when great things can happen. That's why well, I, my love, question. I love Virginia because it's all of those little experiences. So, Well, well Brian, my follow-up question is, is, did they do the pairing with some chalupas or some gorditos? <laughs> I think it was gorditos. No, <laughs> he, he was more than gracious. And actually, you know, I, I sent him some uh, FIU gear uh, afterwards. I sent him a banner and a hat and stuff. like. I was that taken by it and that impressed. And again, not by the wine, but by the hospitality and the overall experience. So if I remember the name, uh, I think it's somewhere around Lauren. I'll check it out. I think it was like Brothers or Native Native Son. Native Son. Native Son okay. is the name of the vineyard in North Carolina. Fabulous. Well, I did not go to FIU for my undergrad. I went to University of Miami. But 
when I was in Virginia tasting wine at, at one of the smaller, again, log cabin, small style, the winemaker came out and he was explaining it was his, his second career, his retirement project. He'd been in the CIA his whole career. And this, of course, you know, right outside of D.C., this is not uncommon. And so, you know, when I was in school, I'd actually studied political science and I was in international relations and I had considered, you know, applying to the CIA. So I'm like, oh man, where did this guy go to school? Like, that's so cool. Let me hear your story. And so I said, well, you know, where, where did you go? Where'd you get your degree? And he said, well, actually I went to the university of Miami. So he and I became fast friends um, there in his little winery in Hume, Virginia, about an hour, a little over an hour outside of DC uh, with this ex-CIA guy who is a university of Miami alum. So that was, that was a cool experience. Awesome. And Johnny, well, that's that's not the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, well, you know, when I think of CIA, I only think of one, but <laughs> that's okay. Uh, covert CIA. Exactly. So, uh, Jacqueline, I, we, we also do talk a little bit about food. I see that you've been doing some work with Crowd Cow Care, a little bit about that. We had a um, local farm delivery service on a couple uh, weeks ago, and... It was very interesting to talk about supporting local farmers. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Crowd Cow and what they sure. do. Sure. Well, Crowd Cow is actually um, not necessarily local to Florida. It's based in Seattle. Um, but the cool thing about Crowd Cow is that what they do is is they source from, from small farms across the country. And they're as local as they can be in a sense. When you order meat from Crowd Cow, whatever cut you want, they have beef, they have chicken, they have pork, they have fish, they have lobster. You're, if you're on the East Coast, you're getting your product from an East Coast farm for the most part, if, if, if it's available. If, you know, they have, we just ordered Arctic char from uh, Iceland from them too, which was phenomenal. But um, CrowdCow is a subscription service. So similar to your wine club, um, you can also join the CrowdCow subscription service and then you get meat delivered to you, you know, every month, two months, three months, whatever you, you sign up. But it's all locally sourced, you know, it, it's all from small farms. It's not mass produced. You can choose grass fed, you can choose grain fed, you can they have a bunch of Wagyu, which is so decadent and delicious. But again, you know, it's, it's, that's personalized service. You customize your, your package depending on what type of meat you're interested in. And you know where, exactly where it's coming from. It tells you the farm. There's little videos on the website that you can go and watch, you know, the fisheries or the farms, the people who own them and operate them. Um, so it's really that kind of buy small, buy local mindset and, and operation, which I love. So I'm an ambassador of theirs and and I um you know we basically only eat crow cow meat the boys know that every time somebody says something I immediately go google it because I'm a google nerd and I'm looking the prices are really good oh yeah totally no I mean they're they're excellent and the quality is is phenomenal we really we notice the difference I you know my my boyfriend's the the chef in the house I I don't cook but whenever he make something I immediately know if it's crowd cow I'm like this is crowd cow right or maybe it's not maybe we bought something from Publix and the, just the quality of the meat that you buy here at the major grocery stores is awful but when you when you get from you know the the farmer so to speak um, I mean it's just I don't need anything else and the the diversity of of options you know you can have all these different cuts um, of beef, but also the chicken, the pork, we eat sausages, we get bacon from them. 
Um, again, the char, salmon, uh, uh, Maine lobsters, there's just all sorts of options and, you know, you can customize your packages and just, you don't ever have to shop for meat ever again. It just comes to your door. It's great. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I love the focus on the quality and the local. And the other thing that I saw, because I do follow you on Instagram and I'll encourage our, our listeners to follow you on Instagram at history and wine. That is Jacqueline's handle. Um, but their, their packaging was uh, no styrofoam. And for product that you're shipping refrigerated or frozen, I thought that was exceptional. So they've, they've just moved to that model. Um, yeah. But that, you know, the carbon neutral is, is part of their new philosophy. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's all kind of with sustainability in mind. And I've met with the owners of the company. When I was out in Seattle last year, I did a little tour of their tiny little office. It's very, like, very Seattle. And, you know, just great organization. I've really enjoyed working with them and getting to know them. And their owners are just super cool, down-to-earth people. So um, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Awesome. Guys, do we have any more uh, questions for, for Jacqueline? No, that was great. I appreciate the time. Well, thanks so much awesome. for having me. Thank awesome stuff. We are so glad that you're here. We'll include your, your social media handles and all that information in the notes of our podcast. And yeah. really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Us. So, guys, as we're wrapping this up, I hope everyone's staying safe and uh, enjoying their, their quarantine time. I'm hoping, actually, a quick little closing thing. Um, you guys have been watching the news, and Jacqueline, feel free to join in. And we had uh, our conversation with Gabriel last week. What do you guys think about this reopening? Because it's affecting Broward, Miami Day, and Palm Beach counties. Well, it's not affecting us. That's the problem. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Us. Um, we, we have to be safe. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't claim to be one on TV. So we're just going to have to do what we need to do in order to get, make sure everyone stays safe and stays healthy. We don't want to, we want to uh, what, lower the peak or whatever it is, minimize yeah. the curve. My heart breaks for the hospitality and restaurant industry, but um, I understand. Yeah, hopefully we'll be we'll be yeah. open soon. And, you know, if we have to follow some rules and regulations for a little while, so be it. Um, you know, we saw down in the Florida yeah. Keys, they, they opened up outdoor dining and six feet apart. And I know we went into that in detail in episode four. So check that out. But uh, we'll uh, we'll get used to this and we'll get through this all together. So we'll move forward. But while you're sitting at home and you can't go to the grocery store or do anything else, go to Crowd Cow because I just ordered some ribeye steaks. Oh, look at that. Donate them. Oh, of, course them. I, I of course you did. Of course you did. Look at that. You're, you're so multitasking. Can and I will I, say, I do have a little code if you use history and wine. Oh, uh, uh, see? 5% off your subscription. Good thing <laughs> I haven't hit yet. Perfect. Oh, look at that. See? Time, timing is everything. As far yeah. as um, what else do we need to talk about? Um, handles for everything. What is it? At the... Uh, bartender. <laughs> well said, Dodge. Well said. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, like I remember all this stuff. Very, very um, refined podcast. So, at so, Bacardi know. Center of Excellence, I am at Professor underscore and Dodge on my um, Instagram, and we've got what is it? At John Noble Masty and at oh, BP Matters. Yep. There you cool. go. And Maybe I should use a middle name like you two. I don't know. Yeah. 
And of course, if we have any questions regarding the Bacardi Sub Excellence with any of the new programs coming up, uh, the soon to be launched uh, Bacardi Teach, we had a conference call on that this morning. That's moving along quite nice. So we're really excited about that, but it's been a tremendous amount of work. And I'm sure follow uh, the Bacardi Center of Excellence on Instagram and Christina and her team have been doing a great job of keeping things up to date. And of course, feel free to reach out to me at bconners uh, at fiu.edu if we have any prevalent questions about what we got going on in the future. All right, gang, this is a great show. All right, gentlemen and ladies, thank you all very much. We do appreciate your hard work. One more thing, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to both of your mothers uh, and Jacqueline, your mom, too. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to all. This is going to go out this weekend, so there you go. Yeah, perfect. Mom's coming over. And, of course, enjoy Cinco de Mayo. And, as always, drink responsibly. And to yes. tag off to John Noble Massey, one of our producers, Christina Mogul, is a mom. So oh. happy Mother's Day to Christina. Yay. Uh, all right, guys. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Peace out. Have a good one. Adios. <laughs>